welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 176, The Prodigal Son's Father. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. I wanted to really quick kind of reintroduce myself. I do this every once in a while because we get new listeners all the time and some people don't really know who I am. So my name is Bree Heiner. I live in Cache Valley, Utah. I have four children, Lana, aged 15 as of tomorrow, so really not quite 15 yet, but tomorrow she will be, and Kenna, age 13, Cohen, age 9, and Jane, age 5. I have been married to my husband, Daniel, for 17 and a half years, which I feel like is a long time, but I talked to a woman in my ward the other day that reminded me that she is on her 50th wedding anniversary and that I'm still a baby, so... (laughs) I used to own a photography business. A few years ago, I stopped taking clients, but that was definitely a love of mine and something that really brought me fulfillment. And it was kind of funny when I stopped doing that. All of a sudden, I had a prompting to do this podcast. So I stopped doing that and immediately this podcast filled up that creative space within me. Now, the reason that I started to do this isn't because I am any kind of gospel scholar. I have absolutely no qualifications that would qualify me for this, nothing on paper. But I also firmly believe that through my testimony of Jesus Christ, that I am qualified to bear testimony of him. I want my kids to know that. I want them to grow up hearing me bear testimony of Jesus Christ and As listeners, I want you to believe that in yourself, that you are qualified, that you don't need anything terribly fancy. I guess I would call a testimony fancy, but worldly fancy in order to testify of the gospel, in order to become well-versed in the scriptures. This podcast probably doesn't sound like any other Come Follow Me podcast you listen to. I don't try and cover every single topic, so you definitely should go to those other podcasts that try to give you kind of a summary of all of the reading and go through lots of different topics. But the reality is, is I'm just a mom in my regular everyday life. And I just pick a topic and I talk about whatever comes to my heart, whatever the spirit leads me to say. So with that, let's get started for today. So sometimes I try to go to topics that maybe aren't the most obvious topic because I know a lot of people will be talking about it this week, but I could not help myself this week. I have to talk about the prodigal son. Let's start by reading the parable that the Savior gives in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed his swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, He said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, 
and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. This time, when we talk about the story, I want to focus on the father. We see the father at the beginning, when it introduces him as a certain man that had two sons. Then he divides his living among the two, and then we go on a journey with one of these sons. But what was the father doing during the time that the son was gone? Now, as this is a parable, we don't really know the details. Maybe, maybe the Savior has details in his head that someday he'll tell us. But for now, we can think about what those details might be. In Jewish custom, the father expected to have control of his wealth during his lifetime. Even if the father decided to divide up his assets before the time of his death, as soon as that property became the property of the heir, neither the father or the son would be allowed to sell that property until after the death of the father. So this request by the son to receive his inheritance early and then sell it before the death of his father was not only unusual, but offensive and ultimately illegal. According to Middle Eastern culture, it was also conveying the message that the son was wishing for the, the sooner death of his father. This is not a request that the father would have had to grant by any means. In fact, he probably would have been looked down upon for granting that request, as it's an extreme hardship on the family to divide up assets like that and mess with the family's business prematurely in that way. But instead of very reasonably and justifiably denying his son's request, he grants it. Why? I can't think of any more realistic explanation than the father's desire to honor the agency of his son. Why else would he do it? He let him go, and knowing how well families know each other, I bet he knew what this son was going to go do. I'm sure he knew this son inside and out. I think that any normal human father would naturally want to fight his son on that decision. And more than that, he wouldn't want to give him the financial ability to go out and make those decisions, to go out on his own and squander his inheritance. But this father simply divided up his assets and gave them to his son. Now, these assets that he gave could have been multiplied by the son. He could have stayed, continued to work on the family business and create more wealth for himself his, and his family, more influence and security and power and fulfillment and joy. But instead, he left seeking worldly fulfillment, something that in the moment he must have thought was better than any fulfillment he could get at home. When we were sent to earth, we were given great power and responsibility. We were given a body, the light of Christ, and retained our agency that we had in the preexistence. This is our earthly inheritance. 
When we received a body, we became more like our Father, not less. Our body and spirit together have become something more than what they are on their own. Our body and spirit together is our soul. And because we are in possession of our body and spirit, our soul, we have the opportunity to participate in ordinances and make covenants. The most important ordinance and covenant is the covenant of eternal marriage. With that soul, partnered with another soul of the opposite sex, we are given the gift of being able to participate in the holy work of creation. It's almost like we're getting to practice for heaven when we're going to be given the opportunity to create our own worlds without number. Here on earth, we get to create more bodies so that more spirits are able to come down to earth and receive them and participate in the same gift that we were given when we were born. And the cycle continues. As spirit children, we were sent to earth with this partial inheritance and partial power. He isn't giving us all he has yet. And in fact, I think that's often when we get into the most trouble is when we're asking for more than he is willing to give us right now, or we are using what he has given us right now improperly outside the bounds of his commands and divine patterns. Heavenly Father knew when he made this plan that we were going to a fallen world. And he knew and knows that it is for our good. He knows that we have great potential for good, but that that fall would leave us vulnerable to the natural man, that tendency we all have towards sin. But he would send a savior to enable us to repent and still return with the ability to receive our full inheritance. On the other hand, Lucifer had a different plan. It's often misunderstood that this plan was offered as an option, perhaps that the council in heaven was some sort of brainstorming session. This is not the case. The plan was already set in motion. It was already decided upon. The Savior already chosen. But Satan, in all of his arrogance and lies, offered up a plan based on fiction. Elder J. Reuben Clark said this about the possible details of Satan's plan. As I read the scriptures, Satan's plan required one of two things, either the compulsion of man or else saving men in sin. I question whether the intelligence of man can be compelled. Certainly men cannot be saved in sin. In Satan's plan, we would all simply receive our bodies, either getting to live however we want and get to return to receive our full inheritance, which side note, that is a red flag that we all can notice and identify so clearly when Satan is trying to tell us that we can just give in to our natural man and do what we want. As Elder Clark points out there, he questions whether the intelligence of man can be compelled. So the most likely version of Satan's plan is that Satan would have it be that there is no sin, or else we can be saved in our sin. So why is Satan called the father of lies or a liar from the beginning? Because he knew that his plan could never work. Without agency, without the ability to choose, we cannot grow to become like the father and the son. This was the first long con, with an aim to claim the father's glory for himself. The father in our prodigal son story obviously is representing the Lord. The Lord granting his son his inheritance, he knew there was a great risk in his decision, but he respected the agency of his son. As the son went out, what did the father do? He stayed and waited in the place his son called home, in a place where I am sure this father and mother had invested much time and energy in creating an atmosphere of love, security, and righteous learning. I'm sure this father prayed. I'm sure he tried to maybe even keep tabs on what might be going on with his son. And clearly his love for his son never ceased. This father stayed home where his son would know where to find him when he was ready. This journey on earth is tricky. 
Satan still wages the war of lies that he waged before, and now he takes advantage of the natural man inside us all to tempt us to give in to that fallen state. He tries to tell us that our identity lies outside the Father and the Savior. He deceives so many into hating, misusing, and abusing the most important earthly inheritance we have been given, our bodies. He's even trying to tell us the most brazen of all lies yet, that some people are born literally in the wrong body. His lies tell us that our happiness and fulfillment can be found within ourselves, that we are whole without a Savior, that the commandments are a source of pain. He tells us that there is no good nor evil, that all will be saved. And if we don't believe that, he concocts a new lie. He tells us that good is evil and evil is good. Or he even tells us that there is no redemption for people who have gone too far. I could keep listing his lies forever. He custom tailors them for everyone. There is a reason that Nephi says that he seeks to carefully lead us down to hell. Carefully is that key word. He knows what he's doing. Are we watching for those lies? We cannot afford to be so arrogant to believe that our wisdom is greater than his or that we cannot be fooled. Thankfully, mercifully, we have not been left alone. The Father's perfectly truthful plan is going forward as it always was. With that plan, we have the Spirit of Christ, the light of Christ. We have, or will have, depending on what your journey looks like here on earth, the opportunity to make and keep sacred covenants. And most importantly, we have been given a Savior who has satisfied the demands of justice for our sake. We have been given a way back home where He waits with open, hopeful arms to joyfully receive us. Even if you or someone you love finds their mind lost enough that they seem to have forgotten where home is, or you have forgotten where home is, I promise that your spirit, that their spirit has not. In John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In the guide to the scriptures, it says this about the light of Christ. Divine energy, power, or influence that proceeds from God through Christ and gives life and light to all things. It is by the law by which things are governed in heaven and on earth. It also helps people understand the gospel truths and helps to put them on the gospel path that leads to salvation. The light of Christ should not be confused with the Holy Ghost. The light of Christ is not a person. It is an influence that comes from God and prepares a person to receive the Holy Ghost. It is an influence for good in the lives of all people. Some people might call it a conscience. Do not underestimate the power of the light of Christ. Your spirit, their spirit, knows where home is. It is that light of Christ that follows wherever you may go, tugging at your mind and heart to come back home. And it's that light of Christ and guidance of the Holy Ghost in those who love those who wander, who can act as breadcrumbs along the way back. These are the ways he acts as the good shepherd. He gives us so many ways and opportunities and reminders to return. And in the most perfect act of love and mercy, Jesus Christ's atonement enabled perfect redemption from all of life's pains, whether created by our own sins or not. No matter where we wander, no matter how we squandered our inheritance, he is waiting in the same place we left him, home, a home that is not a physical place, but a spiritual one, a home that our spirit is intimately familiar with, a home that our spirit aches for. As we wander, or maybe as we flee from that home, isn't it funny how that journey is both long and short, long when we are turned away, and then somehow instantly, as soon as we fully turn around and move forward, it's close, back to the prodigal son. 
And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. As soon as the father saw him, far in the distance, he had compassion, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. How soon do you think the Savior sees you when you turn to come back? Immediately, the very moment it happens, he is eagerly waiting. After all, he has declared that it is his work and his glory to bring to pass your immortality and eternal life. What an incredible blessing and merciful gift it is that the creator of the universe considers it his work and his glory to bring you home, to rejoice when you do, to forget all, and to help you reach levels of joy unimaginable. The parable of the prodigal son contains a story that could have had a different outcome because the father gave opportunity for and respected the agency of the son. The son didn't have to return. The father didn't force him. He could have pridefully wallowed in self-destructive misery. He could have continued to chase the illusion of fulfillment where it couldn't be found. That is an option our father and his son are painfully aware of in our lives. That is why he calls us to diligence in our mission to gather Israel. He wants us all back. He wants you back and me back and everyone you have ever met back. He respects our agency, but he wants us back. Why did the father of the prodigal son see his son while he was still far away? Was it because he was anxiously watching, hoping against all hope that he was going to see the silhouette of his son in the distance? As the Lord's representatives, his disciples, we have been asked by the Lord, as he did Peter three times, Lovest thou me? And his answer to us is, Feed my sheep. I believe in Jesus Christ. Not only do I believe in his existence, but I believe in his plan for me and for everyone I love is perfect. It's so much better than anything I could ever come up with. I believe that he, like the prodigal son's father, is watching for us to come toward him even when we are still in the distance. I recently had an experience that I'm not going to get into the specifics of, but I want to tell you with all of my heart that he witnesses to me that he is perfectly aware of those I love, miraculously aware, obviously aware. Because we are always trying to learn how to be more like Jesus, how can we be more like this Father? We need to let people make their choices, good or bad, love them the whole time, and make sure that they know that. And we need to stay home. Their spirit knows where home is. Home is our Savior Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. If we stay home, They will know where to find us, and most importantly, Him. If we stay home, they might be able to see through us something that their spirit is looking for, even if they don't realize it at first. How long do you think the prodigal son's father would have waited? And actually, in the story, we don't know how long he waited. Maybe it was longer than we imagine. Don't put a timeline on anyone. No one is beyond the Savior's reach. And when and if those moments happen— we have the opportunity to participate in a great celebration. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I testify that whoever the prodigal son is in your life, whether you feel like it's yourself or someone you love, the story isn't over. The prodigal son was lost at some point. At some point, that might have felt like the end of the story. But later, just as real and true, he was found. 
I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.